Well, good morning, First City. My name is Rick. I know you're used to looking at someone younger and better looking the last few weeks, and you're like, who is that old man up on stage? Well, my name is Rick, and I'm one of the uh, pastors here on staff. I want to tell Taryn, thank you so much. Man, he is such a good guy, isn't he? He's just... He and his family just tirelessly work, along with Tyler and Savannah and just our staff. They just tirelessly work, you know, just to uh, bring the presence of God, hopefully here for you, for our community. And, and I can't thank him enough. I also want to tell you thank you for all your prayers, uh, uh, all your cards and, and well wishes, you know, for our family. And the passing of my father, this day, last week, was the last really good day we had with my father. and We just really soaked that day up. But I knew that you were thinking about me because at about 9.25, uh, I started getting all these text messages from, from those of you sitting in the audience. Uh, so I guess, you know, uh, Tara you know, mentioned it. And you were just so kind. And I was able to share it with my family and with my father. And uh, he really loved you. And, uh, and, and I know how much you really loved him. But thank you for all that. In fact, one of the things I got to witness you know, there while he was in hospice in the passing, he just wore himself out. And, and cancer can be so, so ugly. And just all, all the things that you deal with. But boy, the spirit that was just in the room and all the people that came by just to talk to my father and to see our family. And, uh, and dad was so funny. And, but he was just being real intentional with all of his time. But there was this one couple that was there and they were from China. Now, they're new to Christianity. They're just now starting to learn about what is this, this religion, this following of Jesus. What does it mean? And, and as dad was trying to lead them to the Lord and just sharing with them all about Christianity, uh, he took this illness. It took this real downturn, and, and it, it caught them off guard. But they were in the room. They were with our family the whole time uh, through uh, his stay at hospice, which was really, really short, and then the last day when he took his last breath. And when that happened, they, they just cried uncontrollably. There were a lot of tears in the room, but there was also laughter. There was also praise that was going on. Uh, my father requested this one song over and over and over, Midnight Cry, sung by the Brooklyn Tabernacle a Choir. And we were playing that song, and when it was over, we were hugging each other, and there were some tears, but we were also, he did it, you know, he did it, he did it. And we were, we were just rejoicing. And my mom goes to tell a couple of stories, and one of them was just really funny, you know, about my father. And so we're laughing, and there's joy in the room. And, I, and then I, I noticed that this couple from China moved away over into a corner, and they could not just stop crying. They came to really love my father. They played ping pong together, Bible studies, and they're like, we, we don't understand and they start looking at us, and, and we're looking at them. And they ask, how can you do this? Because to them, and, and, and it wasn't that I was just trying to quote scripture. But I said, we don't grieve as the world grieves as people who have no hope. Life for my father is just beginning. I mean, we're, I know we're mourning the fact that he's no longer with us. But for my father, he took his last breath here and was embraced by his Savior. And the welcoming committee that he, my father led hundreds of people, if not maybe even thousands, to the Lord. I can just imagine, you know. And so, 
but they could not understand it. For them, everybody just lost because this is the end. It's all they've been taught and they're watching us and we don't need to have a Bible study around it because they can see that what they're experiencing in the moment with a friend of theirs named John Hazlip is very different than the experiencing we're feeling, the family members, the, the wife and the children of, of John Hazlip. And you can read about it in scripture, but really it, it doesn't make sense. That second song that we started learning that Tyler was teaching us, that we can rejoice even when we're in the valley. And, and Paul is trying to get us to see that in Philippians. So open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. I want to share with you, this, I, this is probably the best chapter, the best, you know, the, the best Bible that I could share with you today. It's just so close to uh, my father's funeral. But what, what Paul is trying to get us to see is there can be joy in all things in your life, regardless of the circumstances. And he just finished saying in verse 1, Philippians chapter 3, Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. He said, whatever happens, rejoice in the Lord. And then in verse 21, he ties it to, to death because he said, he will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. There will come a day when your body, this physical body, cannot contain all the things that you're going to experience in God. And so we must shed this body so that we can take on the glory that God has prepared for you. And we live in that kind of hope. Now, Paul's been talking about this through the whole book. In chapter 1, he says, you, you, make, you make me so happy. I have so much joy. I rejoice when I think about you. But I don't know whether I'm going to live or die. I'm in prison and, and I might die, which would be better for me. But if I live, hopefully it will be better for you. And then in chapter 2, he's like, man, make me happy by having the same joy in you. Verse 17, he's like, I'm going to rejoice even if I die. And at the end, he said, Epaphroditus almost died, just delivering this letter to you. And then right after that, he says, but no matter what happens, whatever happens, can you rejoice in the Lord? And then in chapter 4, he says it again. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord. Can I say it again? Rejoice. And then the very next verse. But remember, Jesus is coming soon. And so he is tying together joy and death. Now, if you've never experienced it, if you've never, if you don't understand that there is a world more real than this one, and that's where we're headed. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue, right? And if, if, if you've never experienced that, then you may say, how can we rejoice? We'll never see him again. He is dead. This is it. It's, it's, it's over, but it's not. Now, my dad made everything fun. I got all these voice messages the last two years. I just, when he would call, I wouldn't answer because I wanted him to leave me a message. The only reason is I wanted to save his voice on my phone. So I've got it. And I can, I can open them up and I can show. And, and every time he would call, it'd be the same thing. Ritty boy, this be your papa. Right? He's just <laughs> making it fun. 
Rick Hazel Slipperton, Papa John here, right? It's just, he's just making everything fun. And so one after another, after another, after another. Ritty boy, Ritty boy, this means your papa. And then we'll talk about whatever we want to talk about. I miss that. But I've got it saved on my phone, right? Because I know there are going to be these days it's going to weigh on me. And I'm just, my father, he just made everything fun. Can you rejoice in the Lord? And that Chinese couple looked at us and said, we don't have what you have, but we want it. So now Paul begins to move into what is that like? How do you get that? How can you have such confidence and such joy in a time of such sorrow? And so he begins to lay it out. And so in the next few verses, there's this test of salvation. There's this, how do you know? How can you have this confidence in the Lord? And now there were two prevalent ideas, you know, theological perceptions as to how you could have that confidence. And Paul addresses both of them in this chapter. Now, I want to give you a little background. Philippi was a Roman colony. There were only five cities that could claim that distinction. What made it a Roman colony was that it was, it, was a, it was a pretty wealthy place. They had discovered gold and silver up in the hills. And so Philippi had plenty of money. Lydia was not the only wealthy person that we read about in Philippi or that we know existed there. And because it was pretty wealthy and it was a small community, all the retired military people would go and live in Philippi. Now, retired me. they had to spend 21 years in the military and they would... They would, uh, you know, leave with honors, and they would have all these exploits. They, they survived all kinds of wars. Rome was just, they were conquering all kinds of territory. And, and they would move there. They didn't have to pay any taxes. They could sit around in coffee shops and talk about all the great exploits and all the great places where they went and took over and conquered. And, and they sat around, so it was a retired community pretty much of older people, the younger people that were moving in there. There was plenty of money to go around. It was that people were living well. And they would sit around and talk about how great life was and all the things they used to do. And so these two ideas of theology about how to be saved came about. One is you have to earn it. And when you're talking about, well, how can you live in this town? Well, we earned it. Why don't you have to pay taxes? We earned it. And it starts filtering into the church. And they're like, well, how can you know you're saved? And they're like, well, you have to earn it. And so the next section in chapter 3, in fact, Paul says this first thing, I have to earn it, which is the first bullet point. And it says, Philippians chapter 3, verse 2, he says, look, look, man, this is just awful. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. And he continues. He's like, there are these people who are going to say that, God, you just don't get salvation. You have to earn it. You have to work for it. You have to work hard. And people are wearing themselves out just trying to earn salvation. And Paul's like, that is such a distortion of truth. That is not true at all. You, you can try to wear yourself out earning salvation, but it doesn't work. You'll be tired. And at the end, you'll determine, I can't do it. And you'll give up and quit. He's like, you don't, you don't earn it. And he goes on after that to say, if anybody could, I would. I mean, you look at my resume, and he just gives his resume. 
And he's like, any of you smarter than me, had more education than me, running after God harder than me? Any, any of you? And like everybody was just really quiet. And he's like, and I'm telling you, I consider it all trash, rubbish, dung. And if I were to talk in slang and give you the real word he's talking about, it would just, wow. He said, it's all garbage, junk, compared to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. You can't do it. The second idea, and both of these ideas are still around today. The first one is you have to earn it. The more good works you do, the more you go to church, the more you build yourself up spiritually and do all this good stuff, then maybe God will consider you good enough to let you go into heaven. You don't earn it. The second thing was this. Well, since it's a gift of God and he just gives you salvation, since he just gives you eternal life, you don't have to do anything. And so all these people were just living however they wanted to live. And saying, well, I get to go to heaven anyway. And I, I hear this all the time on the radio and all over the place where people are like, well, you're saved. And you can go live however you want to live. Well, you won't lose your salvation. And then we tie this materialistic idea to it, and it's not true. Well, the more good deeds you do, you know, you'll get to live up the street. You'll, get to, you'll be closer to the stage. The better your tickets will be when the concert starts. You'll get a better robe. You'll have a bigger mansion. The more you do, it's that God doesn't do, he doesn't work the way we work. And so people are like, and so he's saying, there are people who just sit back and do nothing. Look at what he said. That, so the second thing is I don't have to do anything. Philippians 3.18. For I've told you, and often before, and I'll say it again with tears in my eyes, there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. Well, I'm saved, so I can just live however I want to live. And it was this idea that the body is full of flesh, and so whatever you do in the flesh, it's okay. You can drink as much as you want. You can sleep with whoever you want. You can do whatever you want, because in death, you'll shed this body off and put on this new body, and all will be forgiven, and God will say, it's okay. Come on in. And I'm telling you, that's not true. And Paul said, neither of those work. What gave our family confidence when my father took his last breath? It's not that he earned it. He didn't. He couldn't. I mean, he was human. I know how human he was. He didn't earn it. What gave us confidence? It wasn't that he didn't care, that he wasted his opportunity in the Lord. That he just said, well, I'm saved, so it doesn't matter how I live or what I do or where I go. God's just going to save me anyway. Neither of those give you confidence. At the end, what gave us confidence is that my father relentlessly pursued Jesus. And Paul is trying to get us to see that's how you know you belong to God. In fact, it's so much so that as you read this chapter... What Paul is really saying is, if you're not pursuing Jesus, you should really be concerned about your life, your direction, your end point. And so he begins to say, and he talks about, I press on, I press on, I press on. That's what gives you confidence. We, we, I know where my dad is because all he wanted was to pursue God. You know, I... Mom wanted me to have something when Dad left, so I have this little sweater vest. And when we went over to uh, 
another church and Paul Schrader, this friend of mine who passed away. And so we went over for his viewing. I decided to wear my father's sweater vest. And I, I put it on. I'd just come out of my dad's closet. And so I just put it on and, and went over. And I reached into his pocket. And I thought, what is that in his pocket? And he had two things in his pocket. His last oncology report. And six ink pens. <laughs> and on the ink pens was my mom and dad's name, phone number, the name of the church where they attended, the address, and it said, because we care. And mom told me, every day your dad has to have a minimum of six ink pens in his pocket. And at the end of the day, usually he doesn't have enough because all he does is meet people and says, hey man, come and visit our church. Hey, hey, do you know God? I want you to go to heaven. Come and visit, I'll take you to dinner. You know, all so all dad wanted to do was pursue God. And so I've got those six ink pens now, but it's a reminder that all he wanted to do was pursue God. And so Paul, in his next section, says, why should we pursue God, and then how do you pursue God? So we'll start with why. Here are four reasons why Paul says that he is pursuing God. And the first one is, I don't fully know him. And Paul, I mean, here's Paul at the end of his life. And he's been relentlessly pursuing God all his life. And at the very end, he says, I still really don't know him. Look at what he says, verse 10. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. And I want to suffer with him. And I want to share in his death. He's like, as, as well as I know Jesus, I haven't been suffering for him like I could be suffering. I haven't given all my life to make sure that people come to know God like Jesus did. And, and this word know, it, biblically, it, it's very intimate. It's the same thing when, when in the Bible early on, uh, the Bible uses, goes to great lengths to, uh, to really have a gentleman's approach to the way that it words things. And it said, uh, and Adam knew his wife and they conceived. Okay? And that's the word that Paul is using here. I want to know Christ. I want to be, I want to be intimate. I want face to face. I want to know what he's like. I want to, I want to hear his voice. I want to recognize it when I'm in hard times. I want to suffer with him. I want to give my life like he gave his life. I want to do everything I can to please God. And he's like, I just, I don't do it. And that challenge to all of us is, are you in a relentless pursuit of God? Are you running after him with everything you've got? Is it your passion that everybody you know comes to know God, comes to know Jesus Christ? Is, is that what makes us live? Is that what makes us come alive? That all I really care about, listen, I go to work because I need to pay my bills, but that's not what I pursue. I love relationships and being with people, but that's not what I pursue. I have hobbies that I love. I have teams that are my favorite that I love to watch on TV and attend their games, but that's not what I pursue. What I pursue is, is Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God in me and expanding. I want everybody to know God. Number two, he said, I want to pursue God because I want to experience resurrection. And I think that's probably true for all of us. We want our life to count for something. 
And so in verse 11, verse 10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing and suffering, becoming like him in his death. Why, Paul, verse 11, so that somehow I too can attain the resurrection from the dead. I want to be free. I want, in my last breath, I want my spiritual eyes to open and I want to see my Savior. I want resurrection power now. I want to live with victory now. I want to have joy even in the valley now. And I don't want to be overcome by anything. And Paul is like, that's the second reason why you pursue God. Because he'll bring real resurrection in you. The things you've been struggling with, he'll be able to tackle and remove from your life. He'll set you free. Are you free? Are you free? Or are you still struggling have you yet found joy? Because it's only found in the pursuit of God. Which leads to number three. I pursue God, Paul says, because really I'm broken. He says, if you were to pull back the covers and look at my life, you'll find out that I'm really broken. He says in verse 12, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. He knew he hadn't. If you were to read in Romans, he's like, what a miserable man I am. The good things I want to do, I don't do. The bad things I try to avoid, I end up doing. I say things I don't want to say. I do things I don't want to do. I act in ways I don't want to act. And I find that I'm just a prisoner inside my own flesh. And it just makes me miserable because I really want to live a life better than this. And it's like, it just, every day is a battle. And I'm really broken and I'm pursuing God because I don't want to be broken anymore. I don't want people to have to suffer because of my poor decisions or because I can't control my temper or because I, you know, I, I do things that just shove people away or I make decisions that put our family in financial jeopardy. I don't want to do that anymore. So I want to pursue God because he's the healer. He's the one that brings joy. He's the one that brings life. And then number four. He says, I pursue Christ because Christ Jesus made me his own. He made me his own. That's the one that just amazes me the most. Philippians 3 verse 12. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. I press on. I want to, I want to know him. He possessed me. And if you were to read in Ephesians chapter 1, this is, I mean, it's just fantastic. You could just flip back one book in your Bible. And in chapter 1, all he's saying is, is that man, Christ Jesus gave his life for you and God developed this plan. And this plan was for you to be saved. And he adopted you as his sons. And he brought you in and he calls you his children. And he did that from the beginning of time so that you can sit in heavenly places with him. So that you can be wrapped in this robe of glory. And God pursued you while you were an enemy of the cross. He pursued you. He's in a relentless pursuit of you. And he calls you his own. And it just amazes me. I would be nowhere if it wasn't for God. I was on a fast track to nowhere. And I did not want to live and tried to end my life. It's just, I've only found joy in God. And it still amazes me when I look at my past and where I've been and what I've done, that God has chosen me to do something in his kingdom for his glory. So when I stand in front of you, I'm broken 
And I'm nothing compared to what Jesus has done for me. So absolutely I'm in a relentless pursuit of him. And so these four things gets us to evaluate. Do I know him like I should know him? Am I really experiencing resurrection power? Have I come to the place to where I realize how broken I am and yet how much God really loves me and calls me his own? And once I get to that place of humility and brokenness so that it's no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me, then he can pick me up out of the miry clay, set my feet on solid ground, and put a new song, a song of praise on my lips. Psalm 90. Now, how do I do that? How do I, I that, that's why I should be in a pursuit of God. But he moves now quickly into how do you do it? And he really only gives two things. Now, Paul says one thing, this one thing I do. And then typical Paul, he mentions four things, right? But he's like, this one thing I do, how do I pursue God? Number one, he says, stop pursuing anything else. Verse 13, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Uh, this is the one thing I want to do. I want to forget the past. Now, by the way, he's not saying, I just, I, you know, I know all the stuff that I did, and I just want to try to forget that and move forward. What he is saying is, all the things I used to pursue before I came to know Jesus Christ, I'm no longer pursuing any of those things. I'm, I'm, I'm throwing everything away. It's all trash, remember? It's, all, it's, it's a garbage, it's a heap of junk. And I'm not taking it with me. And I'm going to forget, I'm not running after any of those things. And so I'm going to stop pursuing anything else but Jesus. And then number two, he says, I'm going to start pursuing everything else that is Jesus. Still verse, now verse 14 now I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. It's like I, I used to, all these things I used to pursue, all these things, I, I used to find joy in everything, in my education, in my job promotions, in my bank account, in my friends, in my vacations, in my home, about the car that I drive. I used to find all this great satisfaction in everything, but now they're just broken trophies that I've put in a box and thrown away compared to knowing Christ Jesus. And so I've stopped pursuing anything outside of Christ Jesus. And now that's all I pursue. That's everything that I pursue. And I'm going to press on, and I'm not going to stop until I get there. I'm not going to, it, it, I'll, I'll never stop. And he said, it's such a shame that some people stop pursuing God. And just his next few verses, he's like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm totally surrounded by these people who they don't pursue God. Their, their God is their appetite. All they want to do, they can't get enough of themselves. It's what they protect. It's what they defend. It's what they email. It's what they put on their Facebook. It's themselves. And all they try to do is try to take care of what I want. This is what I want. And he's like, there's no joy in that. You won't find lasting joy or satisfaction in that. And at the end of the day, you won't have confidence when you take your last breath 
And so he continues to just say, pursue God with everything that you have. Pursue him with everything that you have. And then conclusion, your pursuit of God will bring lasting joy. And not just for you, but for everyone. He ends it really in Philippians chapter 4 verse 1. He says, therefore, and uh, anytime you see therefore, you know he's taking everything that he just said wrapping it up and giving you his conclusion. Therefore, because of everything I just told you, therefore, because there is no confidence in thinking you've got to earn it, because there is no confidence in thinking you don't have to do anything, it just makes a mockery of grace. Therefore, because you're in a relentless pursuit of God, therefore, because you've stopped pursuing anything else and you've started pursuing everything that is God, therefore, my brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you, and I long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. Paul's like, at the end of the day, you're the joy. It's you. I got to share Christ with you. I relentless pursued him, and he led me to you. And now you relentlessly pursue him, and together... There's, there's joy in that. When my father took his last breath, he was surrounded by all of his children, his wife, his grandchildren, and this couple from China. And we were all just singing. We were praising God. It was, it was, such, a, it was such a beautiful thing. Just a few hours earlier, I would say eight hours earlier, he was talking on the telephone with a friend of our family, a guy named Tim Vick. And dad was, my dad was a basketball coach, and he was coaching all the way up until the very end. You guys need to do this, and you guys need to do this, and y'all need to do this. I mean, he's just pointing and telling us and blessing everybody. And so Tim was on the phone, and dad was like, you and your wife really need to think about starting a marriage conference and rescuing marriages and doing everything. And Tim was just laughing. It's like, okay, coach, all right. We, we, okay, I'm not making any promises. And then all of a sudden, my dad got quiet. Tim couldn't see what was going on because he's just on the phone. He said, coach, you still there? And I said, yeah, Tim, uh, uh, my dad was brought a, a strawberry milkshake. <laughs> and he's just drinking some of this strawberry milkshake. And Tim started laughing. And he said, okay, coach, I'm going to let you enjoy your strawberry milkshake. And dad said, Tim, you don't understand what's going on here. And if you know your Bible, you know the story about Isaac and Esau. And when Isaac was on his deathbed, he asked Esau to go bring in one of his favorite meals so that he could bless him. Remember? Dad said, I'm Isaac. And I just asked Esau to bring me my favorite meal so that I could bless you. And he spent the rest of his energy blessing Tim and his wife and blessing all of us. And then God took him home. One day, I will breathe my last breath. 
And my children will hopefully find joy in the middle of their tears. And they'll celebrate my going home. And I will walk. I will walk into heaven. I will walk into heaven. Not because I've earned it. And I'm not wasting the opportunity. But I will embrace my Savior. And somewhere in that crowd, I'm going to hear somebody in the back yell out, Ritty boy, this be's your papa. And I'm going to run to that man. Give him a hug. And tell him, thank you for sharing Jesus with me. All I want to do with the rest of my life. And I'm inviting you into that. The joy of your salvation. If you do not know God. And you're not in a relentless pursuit of him. I know on the inside you're empty because joy is only found in the Lord. I don't want you walking another day like that. I want you experiencing what I'm experiencing, joy in tears and a hope and a future that there is a better place awaiting you. So if you don't know the joy of the Lord if you've been waiting to tell him yes I want to pray with you right now that you'll for whatever it is that has made you wait that God will stir inside you and change you I want to invite you today to say yes